This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Alexandra Factor from the Victoria Racing Club. Alexandra had a 12-year career in media before taking on her current role. She chats about leaving Perth to pursue a career on the East Coast in radio, struggling in Sydney before finding her feet in Melbourne, and the discovery of a letter from a former boss. I only worked with Alexandra for about two days, 12 years ago, but have followed her career with interest ever since. This is a really lovely chat, so I hope you enjoy it. Alexandra Factor, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Thank you, Ralph. Now, you're currently working for the VRC in corporate communications. How's all that going for you? Yeah, really good. So it's the Victoria Racing Club, which operates uh, Flemington Racecourse and runs the Melbourne Cup Carnival, which I'm sure everyone's very familiar with. Um, I only joined back in July last year, so it was pretty much headfirst into springtime and amazing Melbourne Cup Carnival, really enjoyed it. And now we're uh, kicking off very much into autumn and it's all really picked up again. All right. So we'll touch on that a little bit later on, but we'll get back to your media career, which began more than a a dozen years ago. Was it something that you always wanted to pursue? No, not really. Um, I was one of those people who, when growing up, pretty much had no idea what they wanted to do as a career. And I actually found that quite daunting because I'm someone who likes to plan out most things and be very organised and really know where I'm going with quite a bit of certainty. So, Um, that was quite difficult. And then those sort of career sessions and whatnot that you did at school didn't really help me much either. I think my parents very much wanted me to enter law um, or even something like engineering, but I had no flair for maths or science really. Um, And both my mum and dad were at the time university academics. So uh, when I ended up doing what was, I guess, a very vocational type degree, that was a bit of a shock, but they knew that it was something that i did eventually want to do. So that's where I sort of ended up. But it's funny because I think my interest in news and current affairs has always really been there. I just didn't really think of it as something that I could do as a career. Like when I was a teenager, I was reading, you know, like the media section of the Australian, which still exists today. Like I was reading that on whatever days of the week it was coming out at the time. Um, Real, you know, devour sort of newspapers television news, radio news, and I was very much into Triple J. I was obsessed as a teen, like totally obsessed. And I think it was just that I'd fallen in love with radio and really um, that's when maybe I started thinking, oh, maybe this is an opportunity, but I didn't really take it seriously at the time. So whereabouts did you study? Well, I, when I finished uni, um, sorry, when I finished high school, I grew up in um, Perth and uh, you completed year 12, the year turned 17. So I didn't really want to go to uni and be 17 for pretty much most of that first year because I'm born towards the end of the year. So I took a year off, which many um, students do in Perth, and I had been accepted to um, a position doing arts commerce at the University of Western Australia and I deferred that, took my year off, got a job, had lots of fun, 
And um, at the end of that year off, I thought, do I really want to do this arts commerce degree? And in my really deep in my heart, I probably didn't. Um, and I thought I'd audition for the broadcasting course at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, which is otherwise known as WAPA. It's very well known for its acting in musical theatre courses, like Hugh Jackman went there, Lisa McCune, a few of those other people like that. And um, their broadcasting course was really well regarded, and I thought, well, I'll give it a shot, see how we go, and if I don't get in, I'll just go to um, UWA and do arts commerce. And I auditioned because it's audition-based, you had to do, um, you know, submit like a 500-word statement on, you know, why you should be accepted and where do you see yourself in five years and all that sort of thing. And then, you know, they gave you some news reads and some advertisements that they wanted you to read and like a general knowledge test and stuff like that. And, yeah, I got accepted and they only took in 18 students per year. So it was right. very highly competitive. Um, and I thought I thought I was no chance. Um but, uh, yeah, I got in and they took in also, like, a mix of ages. So there were only a few people who were um, my age, some mature age students as well. And I thought, well, this is it. This is, like, when I got that phone call that I got in, I was, like, beside myself. I was so ecstatic because I thought maybe this is really what I'm meant to be doing and someone has seen that in me and I think I really needed that sort of reassurance that, yeah, you can do this. So did that course give you a whole lot of confidence then later on when you were to sort of go into a media career? Because, I yeah. mean, a, a lot of people tend to sort of go down that path or have gone down that path because, I mean, the skills are fairly transient, aren't they? Yeah, well, it was a very, very practical hands-on course. There were no exams as such, what's like, and they're obviously being only 18 students, there were no, you know, 400-seat lecture theatres. You all did the exact same units with the same lecture at the same time. So you were pretty much like being back in primary school or even smaller than that. And so you're doing all the same things at the same time and living in each other's pockets for three years. And you just had to work as a team, so many team projects. Like if it was, um, you know, we had a radio station that we had access to and could run programs on. And so someone was the producer, someone was the presenter, someone wrote the news, someone read the news. You just had to be able to work together. And um, I think also that it just focused on television and radio and not print. You could really just, you know, hone those skills in those two disciplines. And it was very news and current affairs heavy. So you did a unit of that every semester throughout the three years. And so many of its graduates do go on to enter careers in news and current affairs. And that was something, an area that I did excel at. And I thought, yep, that's really what I want to do. And then so how does a Perth girl end up in Melbourne via Sydney? Well, <laughs> I finished my degree, graduated, got the certificate, which was great. And then um, I'd been doing some work experience during that final year at a, um, it was kind of like an, uh, it was a community radio station that did like R&B and hip hop and stuff like that. Anyway, I did the news for them a couple of days a week, uh, which was great just to keep those skills up. And I'd also done some work experience um, like in the newsroom doing um, the sports section of the newsroom at Channel 9 and Channel 7 in Perth. Um, I did some things with Grandstand for a couple of weeks in Perth on ABC Local Radio as well, which I really loved. Um, so you can tell by what I'm saying, I'm really into sport. <laughs> and I thought yeah. that's something I really wanted to focus on. But there were just no jobs going in Perth. And you can imagine being such a small but yet metropolitan capital city, there's so much demand to work there, but there are so few jobs going. 
and no one's going to give you a job unless you have experience and how are you going to get experience yep. if no one's going to give you a job. It's the same old story. And um, I'd lived a relatively sheltered life and I really did not want to go regional or even rural and I know that sounds quite precious and I really, I, I think looking back I probably could have or should have done that but I, I was pretty stubborn about it and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. So it got to um, my first year out of uni. I was living at home and my parents really started getting on my case about it, which I think I needed that real, you know, kick along. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, Come on, what are you doing with your life? You know, you've got this for a degree. Let's do something with it. So um, I might have got to about May or June of that year and um, I thought, well, there are more jobs in Sydney. I decided I really wanted radio and I wanted to work in a newsroom in radio. And I thought, well, there are more jobs going in Sydney because there's more stations. Sure, there might be more people going for those positions, but if I'm good enough, then why won't they pick me? So um, my mother had grown up in Sydney and I had relatives living there, so I'd been there pretty much every year of my life growing up. So I was very familiar with the city. Uh, Little did I know that actually living there would be a completely different story as opposed (laughs) to just visiting. But I thought, well, you know, I'm quite familiar with it. I think I'd like it. Why not? So I put all my stuff together, you know, your resume, your letter, and on a CD, okay, keep in mind this is 2004, and I mailed it out to all the um, radio stations over in Sydney and booked booked a ticket, came over for 10 days, said to them, these are the dates I'm there. I'd love to meet with you chased them all up with phone calls going, did you get my stuff in the mail? When can you meet with me? These are when I'm available, blah, blah, blah. Um, But there was one that called me and that was the Australian Radio Network, which at the time had WSFM and Mix uh, 106.5. And it was Glenn Daniel who called me and told me, look, you're not going to believe it, but I've got your stuff in the mail and on that very day, one of my employees in my newsroom has resigned. So we have a position open and I just thought, wow. (laughs) And he said, come on, you know, I know you're coming. So we'd really like to interview for the position. I thought, great. And not only that, but I had meetings with all these other radio stations that I'd hassled. So even though they didn't have positions going, I could still get to know them and put myself in front of them. And so, yeah, I came over to Sydney for that little 10 day break, had the interview at ARN and then they called me back and said, we'd like to you to do a second interview. And I thought, whoa, this is actually getting a bit serious now. And I got the job and I thought, oh my gosh, I just thought I was coming over here just to, you know, go, hey everyone, I exist. And then just go back to my life in Perth and it not really go anywhere. But um, yeah, got the job. I was 21. I'd never lived out of home Never lived in any city apart from Perth. I was very well travelled, but I'd never like actually lived anywhere else. And I've just had a month to pack up my life and move to the other side of a country to a city that, as you know, is huge. And I didn't know anyone my own age, had no friends, and I was about to embark on my first job in my career. Do you ever look back on that now and just pinch yourself at the, I guess, relative ease at how it actually yep. happened, given the fact that, okay, you probably could have been a big fish in a small pond over there in Perth, but to mm. move to the other side of the country and, and be a small fish in a much bigger pond while you sort of, your idea was 
thinking that there was going to be more jobs over here. The, mm. the competition for, for jobs and the amount of, I guess, uni students that, that come out of even Sydney alone would be all vying for those positions. What was that like at the time? Was It, it must have been almost surreal. Yeah, it was. I, I probably didn't realise at the time how lucky I was. Um, but then I also had to reassure myself with, well, they obviously saw something in you and you can do this. You know you can do this. So they picked you. Let's just, you know, run with this. And so it, now that I know what length some, um, you know, graduates go to to try to get that first job and, yeah, just to go from pretty much almost, yeah, straight out of uni from Perth to get, getting your first job in a, like, major metropolitan radio station in the biggest city in the country <laughs> is pretty unbelievable. Having done a few laps of the block now, you must consider yourself fortunate to have landed in the place that you did and start under the the, the tutoring of, of Glenn Daniel, who, as I've sort of discussed with many other mm. people on this podcast, one of the great radio mentors in the country. Absolutely. I don't know if I would have survived or even how I would feel about radio and in particular um, news radio if I had entered through a, say, commercial AM station's newsroom or something like that. I think to have that, um, I'm putting this in inverted commons, like, like softer transition into mm. news through um, like a commercial sort of music station. But where, where I must say, though, news for them wasn't simply just an obligation. It was something that, as you know, they took quite seriously, but still it wasn't in the same fashion as an ABC, 2GB, 2UE or something like that. So it was a perfect taster, like that start, and just to get that grounding. And especially then you add into that um, the people who I was working with in the newsroom. Uh, it was, yeah, just amazing. And I don't think I ever have or will have another boss like Glenn. Um, I was only actually there for 14 months um, in that job, but it was amazing the things that I learned from him and as well uh, from our colleague Corinne at the time. So, yeah, I'm very, very thankful for that start that I got. So walking into a place like that where you said, I guess, the, the thirst or the, the, the desire to put out a, a, a news product that was rivaled to the AM in, in an FM sense, what did you learn the most? I mean, you're coming in fresh out of uni from the other side of the the country yeah. um just learning i guess learning sydney as well yeah. um yeah. you know that, the the intricacies of of how it works in sydney media and the, the the demand for news and all that kind of stuff where you you would have been learning on a very steep learning curve absolutely and it was tough like really tough like i had to learn you know, a whole new, obviously, you know, government, different names for departments, all those sort of things that just um, had completely different, you know, names or responsibilities, say, in WA. I'm just, like, starting from scratch, plus learning a whole new city to get around because you had to pretty much drive yourself around those places. Oh, and I need to add, I lived, like, 20 kilometres from the radio station because <laughs> I wanted to live, because um, remember how I said I had no friends there when I moved, yeah. I wanted to live with um, close by to relatives that I had there and they lived in the eastern suburbs. So I thought, well, that's more important for me to be near them than it is to be close to my workplace. So I was commuting um, like crazy. In fact, once uh, my car broke down in the Sydney Harbour Tunnel at peak hour and I survived that, uh, so I can survive anything. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
that was pretty crazy. I won't forget that in a hurry. Um, but yeah, just I think and uh, sort of in the radio sense, the things that I probably learnt the quickest coming just from that uni grounding was probably um, speed in terms of being able to produce things super fast because it's deadlines. It's all about deadlines. And so you might be at a media conference that starts at like 22 the hour or something like that and goes for 10 minutes and then it's like, oh, my God, the news is coming up like quick as a flash. I've got to get something to air straight away and you've got to go, okay, crystallise this. Like what are the main points? If I was about to tell this story to somebody, what would I tell them that I just heard that are really the key things that I need to hear? So it's being able to do that, just like flip it around. Um, And that's something I could, by the time I left radio, I was like, yeah, no problem. I can have a story finished with like, gosh, two minutes to go and bang, there's your story. So (laughs) it's um, something that I really had to work hard at as well as just um, my writing being a bit more conversational um, with ARN because even though I was quite young, I was a very serious person (laughs) and I was very much in that sort of ABC mould and I know that's something that both Glenn and Corinne tried to drum out of me as much as they could and just to be a bit more casual and a bit more relaxed in both my writing and my delivery, which I found very hard. But um, I think that's also why I made quite a good transition to um, AM commercial radio because I was like, yeah, this is exactly who I am anyway. So that wasn't a problem. (laughs) So what's that situation like when you presented that where you would have been in a a smaller newsroom than perhaps a lot of the the AMs, but you're still Mm. required to push out the same amount of volume. So, you know, a lot of sort of weekends and um on the road sort of stuff that you were doing and then transitioning to two Mm. different radio stations in the one building. And was that difficult to sort of get your head around initially? Yeah, because obviously at the time I was the only sort of on the road reporter, if you like. And so whatever the hot story was of the day or stories, because obviously there was often more than one, um, that's where I was heading to. So unlike if I was at one of those other um, radio stations, I had a chance to have like a taste of everything, which was super in terms of gaining experience and also just building my knowledge, especially of um, Sydney. So a lot of it was um, politics because if you do think back to that 2004-2005 era when I was in Sydney, that was the time when, um, you know, Bob Carr resigned and Morris Yemma came in and John Brogdon resigned. And so I covered all these, you know, chain, like really big news items as they were at the time, considering especially the circumstances that some of them happened in. Um, so changes in government, swearing-ins of, you know, new cabinet and things like that. And um, at the time as well, Princess Mary was um, just, you know, in that relationship with, new relationship with Frederick and they came out and so I did like a royal visit, which was amazing. Um, And so there were just, uh, oh, I think there was also the James Hardy compensation battle. So there were just huge and stories of national importance as well that I just got to be like, a witness of history in a way. <laughs> I know it sounds kind of corny, but that's what I got to do. And especially as, you know, really a youngster, that was amazing. Just being able to see all these, you know, incredible things take place just right before your eyes. Did you find it difficult to fit into the, what at times can be an on the road click and yeah. being someone that's in FM where a lot of the hard-nosed AM radio reporters and TV reporters and newspaper journos mm. don't really have a high regard for FM 
reporters. No, so is that, that something that was difficult to sort of get yeah, used to as well? It was hard. And to be honest, I think I developed um, sort of easier friendships maybe with some of the people from television because they didn't really care <laughs> so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did make some friends through um, the radio people there. But, yeah, you weren't taken really as seriously. Obviously, for 2U and 2GB at the time, all they did was they had eyes for each other and that's it, (laughs) you know, so you weren't even really on the radar for them. But everyone was friendly enough and you know how it is, like no matter which city you're in or what sort of um, medium you're in, everyone knows that you're all trying to do the same job and, um, you know, if your kit doesn't work or whatever, you you know that it's going to be used someday and so you help each other out. You know, when it comes down to the end, you're all just trying to do the same thing. So I think it's got a pretty good atmosphere. And also from a sport point of view, you mentioned that you were, you're from Perth, so mm. AFL would have been your go and then come to Sydney and it's all mm. NRL with, yeah. you know, the odd swans mentioned here and there, but <laughs> it's nearly no really high regard for yeah. AFL in Sydney. I found that very hard and I actually didn't realise how important AFL was, not just for me in an um, interest in like news sense, but just in my, like as a pastime. Um, and just having to dig, you know, a dozen pages deep through the back of the paper to get a snippet of a story because also keep in mind, obviously, the internet, you know, the AFL website wasn't is, for example, how it is today and things like that. So um, just not being too exposed to Australian rules football as much as I was in Perth, I found that really hard. I didn't care and I still don't really care for, um, you know, rugby union or rugby league whatsoever. I didn't want to learn it, like the rules or anything. Um, the irony is, though, the Sydney Swans won the premiership the year the year that I was yes. living in Sydney. <laughs> but, you know, that was what, a flash in the pan, and then suddenly, yeah, we don't care anymore. So um, I thought, okay, I realised by this point that I wanted to do sports news and I thought if I'm staying in Sydney, that can't happen. So I'll need to get out of here, and that's what I did. And the move then came for you to go down to Melbourne. Obviously, once you'd established yourself within the ARN network, Mm. there's obviously available options down in Melbourne, which is where you sort of went next. Yeah, well, I was actually, um, I should add, quite miserable living in Sydney. I found it very hard going. Um, uh, I was working as an on-road reporter three days, uh, three weekdays, and then I was working every weekend, starting work at about 3am every morning. Um, I was never getting a weekend off unless I was taking annual leave. Like, this is my job. I am doing weekend breakfast news every weekend, pretty much no matter what. And so, oh, and I was obviously earning a really low salary because it was my first um, job in radio. I was living very far from work and I just wasn't loving it. And again, like I mentioned, I just wanted to um, enter sport and it got to actually one stage about three months after I started in Sydney that Glenn um, pulled me aside and had a meeting with me and he said, look, I can just see this black cloud is over you and I, you need to make a decision. Like you need to decide, are you going to stay here and totally commit yourself and just, you know, get on with it or are you going to go home? And if you do decide to go home, that's fine. I will completely support you in that. I will write you the most amazing reference and I completely understand that if that's your decision. And I thought, who is this guy? Like I was expecting him to go, girl, pull yourself together. Come on, you know, you're here to do a job. Come on, just get on with it. But he wasn't. And he was so like calm and gentle. 
and kind and I thought yeah he's got a point I really need to figure this out and um I thought well I'll stick it out because I've made this decision and I'm someone if you like I'm very loyal and I'll just give me a task I'll complete it and I thought this is my job I have to do it so I did stick it out and then um come about yeah July 2005 I came to Melbourne on a holiday and so yeah depths of dreary winter but still I fell in love with Melbourne I'd only visited maybe twice before but had a great time obviously AFL helped Um, I had a few friends from my Perth life who'd moved to Melbourne Um, So I thought, well, there's a bit of a grounding. And I came back to Sydney and they said, you really love Melbourne, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, I did. And to be honest, if a job comes up in the newsroom in Melbourne, I'd be very interested. And by October, one did. And I moved here in November of 05. And oh my gosh, it's been 11 and a half years almost since then. I have not looked back. I love it. So I'm really, really, really grateful that I made that move. So I guess in some way, the Sydney part of it was probably more an addition to your learning or your studies Mm. in a bid to forge that career in Melbourne where you were able to sort of fit in a bit better in terms of just, I guess, your love of sport, which, you know, you're in the bigger market than where you're in Perth, but they're also it's the environment that you're kind of interested in, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's true. And also I think um, not just my career I had to consider, I had to consider like what type of person am I and which type of city is best for me. And it's definitely Melbourne. Like I just loved the vibe of the city, the arts, the fact that you can be as obsessed with art as you can with sport and no one's going to look twice at you. I just think that's awesome. That's what I love about this city. And just, you know, the European lifestyle and all that sort of thing. I don't need a flashy harbour. <laughs> Give me some cobblestone laneways and I'm fine. So <laughs> it just, um, I just really loved it. And I just think, um, yeah, I don't know. Was it love at first sight? Maybe. So I just knew, yep. This is the match for me. I knew it wasn't Sydney, but I wasn't sure that it was just going to be perfect. But yeah, it was. So you worked down there um, in the the sister station for yes. for WS and and one, uh, Mix One Hundred Six Point Five through ARN. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, that was amazing. I was there for uh, another two years. Um, great crew, similar role as what I had in Sydney. So I was doing. Um, general news plus weekends but occasionally um I would also just fill in for say the drive uh, newsreader or breakfast as well so there was a bit more variety um and more opportunities to have occasionally those uh weekends off um and then I think they did get some like someone more junior than me and so I was really just working mainly Monday to Friday so that was really good and there was also more opportunity to go to AFL news conferences and clubs mm-hmm. news conferences and things like that during the week and um which I'd never really been to before because I just wasn't really doing that in Sydney because you'd always if there was something on you're going to go to a rugby league club so um yeah that gave me a great taste and I thought yeah I do want to be a bit more or you know a part of this so and I thought well that's not going to really happen at a um you know FM music station I probably need to go somewhere that maybe even has the rights to the football. So I, again, after two years at um, ARN in Melbourne, I made a move again. And you went to 3AW, which is if anyone around the the country would recognise that as the 
leading station mm. in Melbourne. So that must have been an exciting move for you, um, given everything that is in your background and the stuff that you mm. wanted to achieve. Um, that was the spot to be. Yeah, it was. And it was it kind of, I guess, like 2GB does in Sydney. It just, you know, rates the pants off compared to everyone else. But unlike um, at the time there was that rival in, say, 2UE, there was really no rival, commercial anyway, for 3AW. Like they just win breakfast every time. You know, they get more than 20% of the ratings at breakfast and it's just crazy. Like um, the amount of tension particularly those breakfast presenters get is like they just, you know, set the agenda for the day along with Neil Mitchell and the influence that they have is also, yeah, incredible. And so there wasn't actually, I don't think, um, an advertised position going at 3AW at the time, but um, one of my close girlfriends, she worked there and she said, look, I know you're probably ready for a move. Why don't you just, you know, I'll let my news director know and, you know, you guys can I'll introduce you and you can maybe go and have a meeting with him. So I went in and met with the news director at the time who was Rob Curtin and um, he ended up like, you know, having me do a bit of an audition sort of recording and things like that. I think I was there for about two hours. I was so worried about getting a parking ticket. Um, <laughs> and he, he actually offered me a job while I was sitting there in his office. And I was like, this is pretty easy. Like, I don't know, it just sort of happened. And they made me an offer and I thought, well, if ARN can really beat that, you know, reasonably, I would consider staying for a little bit longer, but they said, ha, I don't think so. So <laughs> I took the job at 3AW and here I was joining a station that had probably oh, maybe a dozen or so people in the newsroom and it was also a newsroom that ran 24 hours. So I had to prepare myself for really working at any time of day, which I'd not really done before in terms of working, you know, into the night time and things like that. And um, I was joining as a general news reporter as well as a newsreader and being able to read the news even on a weekend, but still they're the most listened to station on the weekends as well, um, with half-hourly bulletins that are going for five minutes and having to pretty much do all of it alone was, um, yeah, really a great challenge and something that I, yeah, love doing. So was it at that point that you felt comfortable not only with your work role or your ability to churn out stories and, and mm. read the news and, and be a, an on-road reporter, but also personally as well. Did those things come together pretty much all at once and feeling feeling confident both in a personal sense and a mm. professional sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, friendships blossomed, which was great. Um, and like I mentioned, um, one of my closer girlfriends was working in the newsroom at the same time, which was really cool. And, yeah, I just was a lot more confident in my own abilities, um, stressing out a lot less because I found it really stressful, particularly in Sydney, just trying to get my head around everything and just being able to churn out those stories, you know. Um, but the deadlines were phasing me a lot less. Uh, my writing had vastly improved. Like I used to really loathe writing, to be honest, but um, now I really, even in my current job, like I really like it. And just being able to... Um, just get the essence of a story and cut out all those unnecessary words and really be so succinct and so brief is um, a challenge I love. Like just give me something and I'll just be able to slash it, you know. So, um, yeah, I really developed those skills quite quickly and um, having those, yeah, regular deadlines at 3AW helped as well. How important is that for somebody that's interested in, in pursuing a career in, 
in radio, particularly in news or, or sport, is to, like you say, just be able to condense mm-hmm. what essentially can be really complex information and putting it into two or three paths with the additional support of, of perhaps an audio grab. Yeah, you've really got to figure out what's the important stuff because also keep in mind like some um, particularly government agencies and things like that might try to sort of just bamboozle you with like facts or, um, you know, surplus information that's not really relevant and you've just got to sift through that. They might just give you like a press, a media release, you know, a few minutes before they start. You just got to go, oh, my God, like there's five pages here. What's important? And you've got to know, um, you know, what do people want to know? like what's going to affect them, what's really or even just going to affect the nation or whatever it is at the time and um, just be able to pick it out. And then I found with um, sports people or coaches and things like that, you know the cliches that they use and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes you just got to be able to like cut through that stuff and go, okay, what's actually the important bit here? And finding the money grab. That's right. <laughs> um, so down there at 3AW, um, obviously you sort of needed some a little bit of guidance because you still would have been relatively young, even though you had a, a, a few years under your belt mm. in the media. Who were the people that were there that helped you develop your career in the media? Um, well, I really enjoyed working alongside the breakfast newsreader, David Armstrong, who's been there for ages. I loathe working those type of hours. I am not a person who wants to start work at 4am in the morning. Um, but it was part of the job. So that's what you've got to do. Um, but the plus side was working with him and he, um, sometimes I disagreed with some of his news judgment because I found the tone of the breakfast news very different to what was happening in afternoons and drive. Cause obviously afternoons and drive is quite reactive in terms of this is currently happening in parliament or this is what's happened in this crime story whereas at breakfast it's either things that have happened overnight say crime-wise or internationally around the world but otherwise it's a lot of um dealing with say exclusives that have appeared in the paper and I found sometimes breakfast can be quite tabloid in its approach um but I like the treatment that he gave it and I really like the way he could write so quickly and just um yeah like we were just saying you know distill that information and get it out there and also this is a newsreader who could write stories because some newsreaders, they just have editors who do it all, but he was calling the shots and he was doing the reading. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed working with him. You've mentioned a few times your, your interest in sport. So the ambition would have been there from the mm. get-go to manoeuvre yourself into a position like that. How did that all unfold for you? Well, when I joined uh, 3AW, um, the major events that were happening each year and obviously Melbourne priding on itself on um, hosting major events in Australia sporting-wise, there were always um, at least, you know, four each year, big ones. And that was always a time when we'd need an extra person to assist the sports reporter. So I was always that other person going, yeah, I'm going to do that. So I'm helping out at AFL Grand Final Day. I'm helping out at the Australian Grand Prix or the Australian Open Tennis or, you know, Melbourne Cup Carnival and things like that. So when the sports position did come around, um, it was, in my view, something that would have fallen naturally to me. And so thankfully, (laughs) in my case, there was actually no job advertised or things like that. Um, Rob Curtin just, yeah, it was almost just understood that, yes, it was going to be my role. And so, um, yeah, I think it was uh, 2010 I got the position 
And it also meant that I was going to go to the Commonwealth Games in Delhi in 2010, which was an amazing experience. I hadn't done any um, news overseas yet. And so going to India, which I'd never been to before, and obviously you can imagine the the conditions that you're going to be Mm. working under were very, very trying. I remember one time um, I was on a bus leaving the swimming venue at night time and they would turn off all the interior lights on the bus so that you weren't going to be a target for terrorists or snipers and things like that. And they had an undercover police officer at the front of the bus with like an automatic, you know, machine gun weapon. And my laptop had like 5% of battery left and I'm just working by the light of the laptop and the internet's dropping in and out, you know, and I'm trying to get this story back to Melbourne and it's like, five or 10 to the hour and just that stress of trying to get this done. And I got the story there, but it was um, real adrenaline rush to be in that setting and just to try to go, okay, such and such has won this gold medal. Australia has to know <laughs> and it's mm. my job to tell them. So that's um, a great thrill as well. What was that experience like for you? Because anyone that's sort of been to India, I mean, you would have been like a beacon for them, you know, <laughs> um, Australian girl, yeah. uh, blonde yeah. hair, like it's you, you would have been like a novelty act walking yeah. down the, the streets at times. Like yeah. it, tell us what that experience was like for you, your first experience there uh, as, as a reporter being overseas. Yeah. It was, it was confronting. Um, I was very, very conscious of my safety um, and, and I just sort of tried to, uh, my colleagues who also came were all males and if I wanted to go anywhere, um, I pretty, actually, to be honest, yeah, I pretty much didn't, um, which is kind of sad. Like I just pretty, yeah, I was just either in the hotel or on the media, you know, transport or I was at a venue or at the main press centre. Um, I think once, I also keep in mind, I probably didn't have time to do anything <laughs> because uh, you're working from, you know, the very start of the day through to, you know, past midnight every day. But um, there was one chance that we had to go out and so I made sure I went out with them and um, just sort of, you know, kept yourself. And there was also quite a bit of a terror, a risk and alert at the time. So that was a lot of concern in terms of what we were allowed to do and where we were allowed to go. So, yeah, safety was definitely a number one priority. It's something that you would have loved though. Like, I mean, a lot Mm. of people who work in media, which I've never quite understood, complain about having to work long hours and be Mm. it like events like that. But the way I kind of look at it is just like, as you sort of described, you've got the front row seat mm-hmm. to history. So, and you're the one with the information that's telling a, a greater audience and in your case, telling the, the greater Melbourne audience. So is that something that you sort of thrived on despite the fact that you had to put in the long mm. hours? Yeah, absolutely. They were my, um, cause I went a couple of times overseas and that was, those opportunities were definitely my most favorite because Um, the subsequent ones that I had were actually through the Australian Paralympic Committee. Um, They sponsored uh, various journalists to go to London to cover the Paralympic Games then and I was selected uh, to go for what the time, at the time was, you know, Fairfax Radio Network and I went by myself. So I was deciding, well, I'm covering this for the whole network, um, you know, nationwide what's the most important story that people might care about? Where am I going to put myself today? And then whichever one, I, whatever things I choose to do, I then still have to make sure I'm across everything else that's happening elsewhere 
so that I can also include that information as well. So there was a lot of, um, you know, decision-making and figuring out where I need to be. And, yeah, I really loved that. And just having that responsibility and just working those long hours and just seeing these amazing achievements. And um, it went really well and it was really well received by the network because we hadn't actually done that before. Um, and got some great feedback on Twitter from listeners. So that was, I think, a really good initiative and I'm appreciative that Fairfax did that because they could have said, no, why are we going to bother? So, yeah, it was good that it was well-received. And then um, subsequent to that, I just developed an ongoing relationship with the Australian Paralympic Committee and they then invited me, um, like made a personal invitation through me to go to Sochi for the Winter Paralympics in 2014. And again, that's like even again, that's going to be considered a little bit more niche in terms of um, people with disabilities doing winter sports. But yeah, they Fairfax uh, let me go, and yeah, it was an amazing experience. Hadn't been to Russia before. Um, it was a total schmozzle in terms of yeah. um, the organising of the event. If you think what the Olympics was like, yeah, this is probably even a little bit worse because uh, people might not have cared as much about um, Paralympic sport, but that was an incredible experience. And then uh, I eventually uh, left 3AW, but um, the Paralympic Committee um, invited me to be part of their team part of the Australian team for um the games in Rio de Janeiro so I was one of the media managers for the Australian team and I just started a new job but I said look I have this commitment and they still gave me the job and let me go so I took leave without pay in September last year and went to Rio for three weeks and I looked after the shooting and equestrian teams and kind of a little bit of nice coincidence that it was equestrian and I now work in horse racing. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was an incredible experience, like living in, staying in the athlete's village and just hanging out with them all the time and being there for them and just assisting them with media and things like that. It was a great, great experience. Do you feel that that was rewarding for you, given the fact that, okay, the Paralympics, while they, they come around and they run after the Olympics, mm. I mean, there's still a great deal of interest in it how did you feel covering those events Mm. it was amazing um london was just incredible because the they were covered on i think um channel four over in britain and just the way that london became alive it was like the olympics hadn't stopped even though there is this about two weeks period between the two events so that the venues can be repurposed and the city just has a time to breathe between the two things but um, you know, front page every day of all those major tabloids in London, it was about one of their own Paralympic heroes. So I ended up, you know, being more familiar <laughs> with these amazing British athletes than some of our own because of the attention they were getting there. Um, and then come Rio um, in Australia, Channel 7, for the first time, a commercial network had the rights and they were, you know, having live coverage each day and just the um, amount of funding that that delivered and, you um, the benefits, hopefully, for the Australian Paralympic movement will just roll on into the next Games. There's so many remarkable stories that, that come out of an event like that and, and so many touching moments. And, and I guess it's really great that that occurs because these people display an extraordinary amount of, of skill to overcome whatever adversity that they've had in their lives. Oh, absolutely. And, like just as a as an athlete they're incredible like 
they're doing things that neither you nor I could even dream of and they might not have use of, you know, a limb or might have cerebral palsy or have a vision impairment and they're just absolutely killing it. And, yeah, it's, a, it's incredible, like, their achievements, whether they, you know, have a disability or not, just as an athlete. Um, and these are elite athletes. Some of them are even, you know, professional and have major sponsorships and things like that. Um, yeah, should not be underestimated whatsoever. You were promoted to the sports editor's role down there in Melbourne Mm -hmm. for 3AW. I think it's fair to say that Melbourne, probably more progressive when it comes to females and their representation in in media, whereas Sydney has been a little bit slower um, Mm. in in adopting that kind of situation. Would that be a a fair assessment? Yeah, I find... um particularly AFL, um, you know, media personalities and writers and reporters and things like that, there is a large um, proportion of females, obviously led by Caroline Wilson, who is an absolute, you know, pioneer and major newsbreaker here in Melbourne. Um, You know, and then there's heaps at Fox Sports News and others at The Age as well and at The Herald Sun and... I guess me in radio, they hadn't had a sports editor before in the newsroom. The position was um, created for me. I guess it was partly, um, you know, a promotion, but we also had a a change in the news director because they made a national position and then we had a a Melbourne news director promoted as well. So it did come with a bit more responsibility, just making sure that, because obviously I wasn't going to be in the newsroom all the time, just making sure that all the right, you know, sports were covered and we weren't missing anything because especially being the rights holder of AFL, we had to make sure that we were, you know, delivering delivering an up-to-scratch service in our news. So that was something I had to be uh, very mindful of. What was that like, taking on that extra responsibility? I really liked it. Um, it was just a chance to show a little bit of leadership um, and also just make a few decisions without having to necessarily, you know, constantly running it by somebody else. Um, and, yeah, I was just leading the way in terms of I ended up covering I think nine AFL grand finals um and you know Formula One Grand Prix by myself um and you know Melbourne Cups which definitely helped prepare me like I think I'd been to about eight or nine of them before I joined the Victoria Racing Club and just having that exposure and just knowing how they run that week was um definitely an asset coming to this current job. Let's talk about that now. I mean, were you someone that uh, was a casual observer of racing or were you someone that sort of once you got to Melbourne and got swept up in that the, the, the carnival atmosphere mm. that, that happens uh, around springtime that you were able to sort of see it close hand, um, whether you sort of were going as a representative of the media or just going along casually? Is it, is it something that, uh, uh, that you've developed over mm. time? Yeah, I have. Um, wasn't really part of my life growing up in Perth. I think I went to the Perth Cup once when I was 18. Um, but my dad had always had quite a bit of an interest in sport, uh, sorry, in racing and um, devoted lover of Sunline especially. <laughs> so I definitely knew about her, <laughs> my dad being a Kiwi. But, um, yeah, so when I moved to Melbourne, it's just so much part of the life here. Um, come springtime, you're all, you know, all your shop fronts are all done up in racewear and I'd not seen anything like that. It's just so pervasive. And now being at the VRC, I really know that. Like it injects more than $400 million into the Victorian economy, just the Melbourne Cup Carnival. 
I know I sound like um, I'm in PR, but I yeah. am. But it's amazing um, just the impact that racing has on this state. And uh, lots of my girlfriends quite uh, were members of the Victoria Racing Club, so we used to just go along socially. It was just a fun thing to do, you know, during the daytime and not have to, you know, be constantly like going out to nightclubs or things like that. Um, so, yeah, I just sort of gained a bit of a passing interest in it and um, I had a good relationship with the media people at um, the VRC and this uh, position came up and I thought, why not? It's one of those things, though, isn't it? Like, it's Melbourne has this great ability to not only host sporting events but turn them into experiences that transcend sport. Absolutely, because we know at the VRC that not everyone who's coming to the races is there to see the horses Um, and they might be there for, you know, food experience or socialising with their friends or even, you know, networking and things like that. So it's not just about the races. And so, for example, during the last Melbourne Cup Carnival, we developed this whole new precinct called The Park, which had, like, bands playing in the afternoon of every day, had all these, you know, pop-ups from all these, um, you know, well-known Melbourne eateries and just had heaps of cool activations. And it was... um, just good to see like a whole different sort of crowd, you know, that maybe like under 35 crowd really enjoying that sort of aspect. And you couldn't even see the track from where that, you know, precinct is, but it didn't matter because they were still having a great time and they were still coming to the races. And these are people that eventually we can maybe become more interested in horse racing, but at least this is an introduction for them. Having been on the the media side and then crossing the line and going to the dark side, as it's often referred Mm -hmm. to by journalists, what were the main differences for you in terms of, being able to to go across and and, and be a, a representative of the the VRC as opposed to a member of the media. Um, well, firstly, I've enjoyed not having to get up at three a.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I've only had to do that maybe once or twice for some track work activities, but otherwise, it's been <laughs> pretty good. So the lifestyle has been a lot better. I found it really hard going doing some of those. Um, breakfast shifts, uh, just not being able to develop any type of real routine, I found really difficult. So being able to work effectively office hours, Monday to Friday, occasionally nine to five, but, um, and then obviously throw in a few race days on the Saturday, which you then get off later in a day as a day in lieu has been really good. Yeah. Just from a lifestyle perspective. But, um, I think just a heap of my journalism skills I can bring because um, some of, most of the people I'm working with don't come from a journalism background, so I'm a lot more in tune about what the needs are of the media in terms of their deadlines or what their appetite might be for a particular story or how we can maybe better angle it so that they would be interested. Um, and also those contacts, you can't forget like your, your, your knowledge of all these people and the relationships that I've built with most of them, say, over a decade um, has been really valuable as well. So do you sometimes sort of forget the skills that you bring to the table? Because sometimes yeah. when you work in the, the media, you kind of feel as though you don't have much to offer. But then when you sort of think back to everything you do on a, a, a daily basis mm-hmm. when we're sort of discussing before how you're able to sort of condense information into sort of bite-sized chunks. And that's, I'd imagine, something that's really valuable in a role like yours. Yeah, especially like when you want to get, say, a media release down to one page and you're going, okay, 
how am I going to make this so that not only is uh, people going to read it, but they're going to get the information out of it that they need and that they're going to be interested. So that's been really valuable as well. Um, and it's become well known around the office that I'm like the queen proofreader <laughs> of any <laughs> types of any communications, but <laughs> internal or external. Um, so people have been, yeah, very much um, drawing upon those skills, which I, I love it. I love, yeah, total um, grammar police over here. So um, I'll happily read, you know, put anything under my nose and I'll read it for you. <laughs> Racing's one of those sports where people sort of, I guess they're either in sort of two camps. They're, they're like ones that are hunters that are that are interested in it every single Saturday and then mm. you're casual observers that, that lob in around carnival time. So it always seems to present stories like rags mm. to riches stories. So it appeals to the, the very wealthy who have an interest in horse ownership or it's down to the the battler who will put his $2 each way on something. So it really does have that mass appeal. But year on end always seems to throw up a, a story. There's so many different angles. I guess you with your radio and, and media background are able to sort of pick up on those things that, that may be a, a appealing to uh, media outlets, which then can tell the story to the public and then pretty much like a, a groundswell. Once the story's out there, people tend to sort of jump on board, don't they? Yeah, and you see that with something like Winks, which you just can't ignore, <laughs> um, how people have just become, you know, swept up in her and everything that she's done. And as soon as there was like a sniff of that she might come and race here for the um, Australian Cup, which is on this weekend, it's like, oh, is she coming? Is she coming? And uh, But, yeah, it's great when you see a horse like that and people just get swept on it, up in it because obviously we had something like Black Caviar, which is a while ago now, and now to have another horse that really just captivates people and you're like, can she do? Can she just win another one and win another one? And how far can she really go? It's, um, yeah, really cool when you get those kind of storylines. It must be a great buzz working so close because racing is one of those sports that sort of flies under the, the radar a bit, but I kind of liken it to, to V8 supercars in a way is that, like, a lot of the, the trainers and the jockeys they're so accessible or they're so good with the media when presented the opportunity, whereas a couple of the other sports like AFL and NRL have sort of in recent years adopted a, a real sort of closed shop, which is mm. unfortunate because the stories don't come out. Yeah, I think also that's because um, trainers and jockeys don't have that machine behind them, which obviously a football club does, like a trainer and a jockey unless you're, say, Godolphin, you're not going to have your own media manager or anyone strategizing behind the scenes or telling you, okay, these are the key messages that you need to get out this week. They don't have that. So they're just going to be natural and just tell you whatever it is that they're comfortable to tell you. And obviously that's going to create, um, you know, a more relaxed interview and it's probably going to be something that's going to give you more information than if it were something like a football club. Racing also presents itself well in... in social media because there's mm. the, the colour element, the, the, the girls dressing up, the guys dressing up, all of that kind of thing really presents well on a, on a social media platform where you are then able to encourage people to come along to the mm. track. Yeah, our social media at the VRC has absolutely taken off. You know, we're engaging obviously on 
Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Instagram stories, everything you can think of, um, we're doing. And obviously, yes, there's a lot of glamour associated with racing. Um, people are often, you know, very well dressed and the horses are beautiful and just that beautiful green setting of a race course and all those roses and things like that can create some, you know, amazing shots. And, um, just over the last Melbourne Cup Carnival, we um, had an agreement with Twitter and we were the first um, sporting event outside the US to be broadcast live or live streamed on Twitter. And so that was yeah, an amazing thing to see happen. And we were trending, I think, like number, wor- number one around the world in about 25 locations. What's that like so to see that? Un- it's um, really incredible what social media... Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and even things like tweet impressions, I think we reached like 1 million, which was double what we did the year before. So agreements like that can really, you know, drive people to your event. Also, their following of what you're doing. So our followers went up on Twitter and all of our, many of our social, other social media platforms as well. And just to, um, you know, help increase that awareness and then hopefully translate that into other race days because we don't want people coming for just those four or even one of the days of the Melbourne Cup Carnival. We have 23 race meetings per year. And so we want to be able to sort of translate that into people coming along through other times throughout the year. I guess the autumn in Sydney is the focus for racing, but you've still got some cracking race days in the the next couple of weeks, don't you? Yeah. So last weekend we had the Australian Guineas, which was amazing um to see as well and that was won by Haydock and then this weekend we have Super Saturday so we've um got two group ones on that day but we also because uh, we're not just about racing as well Flemington hosts hundreds of other events throughout the year like we've got Cirque du Soleil there at the moment so I have to also focus on other things that we're doing outside of racing um, and so it's the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival coming up and we have a um, Flemington grazing trail in Cellador where all these you know pro- producers from around Victoria come on the race course on the race day and people are you know doing tastings and having all these different you know things to eat and drink while they're watching races you know the horses are just a few meters away so it's a really great experience where we can combine two big Melbourne events together and put them on in the one spot. So it sounds as if the black cloud that Glenn Daniel (laughs) mentioned earlier in your career is no longer there more like a rainbow. Yeah, well and truly lifted. <laughs> but I am grateful for that amazing experience that I had in Sydney. And um, do you know what? I was actually recently going through some things that um, when my partner moved into um, my place and I had to clear out some things from my, well, from my career. And I found a letter that Glenn and Corinne wrote to me when I left AR in Sydney. And it was so touching to read. And it was beautiful that I found it just before you and I were to chat. And it says, I'll just read you a quick bit out of it. It says, um, you've shown courage and determination, particularly during some tough times. The words out of my comfort zone came to mind. Steve Waugh used those five words as the title of his autobiography used last, uh, launched last week. Without his permission, we lift these words for you to take with you. And then they included a quote from Steve Waugh's biography. So um, I couldn't imagine now, you know, a new, couple of news directors writing a full-page letter to one of their departing employees, you know, just with some words to take with them and thanking them and giving that in them that, you know, encouragement to keep going in their career. Um, I don't know if that, ha- that would happen today, but, um, yeah, it's beautiful that I still have it. I'd like to say I'm surprised, but having known <laughs> Glenn and Corinne for over 20 years, uh, I'm totally not. Yeah, I know. And the very last words are, never be happy with mediocre. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm like, that's some very, you know, 
beautiful, great words to finish on. <laughs> we will finish up in a sec, but before you go, I just want to get some advice from you as someone who has made their home on the, the east coast of Australia after growing up in, in, in the west. What would mm. your advice be for somebody that's, that's looking to, to break into the media? Oh, well, I think it's a very different climate than when I started out in, well, I started uni in 2001 and then starting my career in 2004. Um, just the amount of, you know, cutbacks and things that I've seen throughout my career really makes it an even, you know, tougher industry to enter. So if you've decided that this is what you want to do, um, you better be willing to work bloody hard. And obviously you need to back that with some pretty strong talent as well to get those jobs that do exist. And I think if you have that determination and that skill and um, you can probably get there, but when you do get there, you probably, you need to be willing to be flexible. This might not be your career forever. It hasn't been for me. Um, And you need to be willing to translate those skills into different industries and different areas. And you might find, you know, a new love and something that you, didn't think you'd end up doing, but um, it's something that you love just as much. Alexandra Factor, thanks very much for your time. My pleasure, Ralph. There she is, Alexandra Factor from the Victoria Racing Club. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Alexandra, please let her know by sending her a tweet. She's at Alexandra Factor. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, leave a rating or review. That way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast. Podcast.